0: This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward dof for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. It's easy to make good choices when you have good insights, right? Well, AppSlyer's open platform provides the measurement, analytics, engagement, and fraud protection technologies you need to get the answers to all of your questions and make good choices for your business and customers. Is customer privacy important for you? Good. With AppSlyer, you can accurately measure your marketing while protecting customer privacy, bringing in New customers is great, getting accurate insights while protecting your customers' privacy is even better. AppSlyer's privacy-preserving measurement and cost aggregation technologies give you insights you can count on across channels, platforms, and devices. And here's something we all agree on. When it comes to the marketing, you should only pay for what works. AppSlyer's incremental lift testing makes it easy to make good choices for your marketing budget through accurate, unbiased insights into the true value of your marketing outcomes. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslier.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. I think what's What's become clearer, certainly in the last few years as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zaloff, VP of Marketing at Iron Source. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to This Week in Games, episode 145. Today, we're going to talk about Zynga, their latest Q2. We're going to talk about the acquisition of Starlark Star Lark Studio and the Golf Rival game. And we're going to talk about FIFA Ultimate Team's new preview packs actually boosting the loot box sales, according to EA. Adam, Eric Kress, how are you guys doing? Adam is back from the woods.
1: That's good. I had a good break, you know, in the woods, just relaxing, reading books. Haven't been able to read a book for a while. Who reads? Come on. Yeah, I Listen to books. Come on, dude. <laughs> I also listen to books. I also listen to audiobooks, but it was actually really nice. I read a book called Noise. Did you guys ever read Thinking Fast and Slow? I tried. He tried okay, <laughs> but I yeah, was, noise is I, I actually really, nice. Book.
0: I turned in the fatui no. of that game <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> too slow. <laughs> uh, yeah, excellent, excellent book, excellent book. Yeah, that, that was basically just relaxing. Uh, it was nice to get away from things, mm-hmm. nice to play Zelda. It was good. Well, what, is, what is your cottage look like? Like, is it by the lake? Yeah, so I've got a cottage, and my wife's family's got a cottage. Mm-hmm. Uh, my cottage is like right in a bay with. You know, you just walk over the, the, the road and you're in the water, which is really, really nice. And then my wife's cottage is on this kind of like escarpment cliffside. And then you just jump right into the lake from there. It's nice. Nice.
0: Nice. That's a that's a very Nordic thing to do, by the way. it's, it's surprising. Also,
1: also very Canadian thing. But yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we also have lots of land. Lots and I hear lakes, you. But... you guys, you guys
0: also like hockey. Is that, is that a thing over there? What's hockey? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Anyway, Eric, 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 is already
2: losing interest. Eric is like, "Oh my god, it's going oh, yeah. on? I, I fell asleep. I'm actually still playing Final Fantasy, so I, I'm not even paying attention <laughs> to what you guys are saying. I, I, dude, I, I have, I have a serious addiction problem, right? I've been playing this game nonstop for weeks, and I finally <laughs> got the level cap, and I'm just like, "What the hell am I doing?" You know, I'm like, I'm not feeding my children, you know, I'm not saying hi to my wife. I'm just down here playing video game This stupid video game i i, I have serious problems but, but when, I but when I... you
1: play these like looter games it seems like you go you're completely motivated by the level cap and then as soon as the level cap hits you quit like if i'm going to bet right now i'm probably going to say you're not going to stick around too much longer because now well, it's an optimization no, well
2: it, it's all yeah you're right no you're kind of right if they do a good job of progression at the end game i'm good right so where as long as I feel that power fantasy that I'm getting more powerful, but the minute I feel like I'm not incrementally getting more powerful as I play, then I just, I give up that. That's kind of my mode. And that happens to vision destiny, all those games. You basically get to the level cap and you get to the light, you know, the soft cap of light and, or whatever it is called now the power. And you just don't feel like you're actually getting any more powerful, even if you're, even if your level is, is going up. So that's, yeah, that's when I, that's when I bail. And we'll see with this one. But then also this one, they have a the expansion is coming out in November. So that that'll kind of definitely get me back in. And meanwhile, everyone's bailing on World of Warcraft. Dude, Blizzard is an absolute shit show right now. I mean, the I've been saying for like the last like few months, I'm like, okay, well, Blizzard's falling apart, but the Diablo team is all they're all good, man. They're like fully staffed, right? And then they just announced that like all the Diablo guys are leaving too. So anyway, sorry, I, I just Transition to something different. But, do, do
1: they actually have public numbers for like how many concurrent players are on World of Warcraft?
2: No, but wait. But there was some tracking that was oh oh it was like Yipit or M Science it was basically saying they're down like thirty eight percent year over year, which makes sense. But it's a seasonally slow anyway. But it's going to be really bad, I think, because they don't have an expansion plan until next year. You know, holiday probably. So that's when they can bring people back. So World of Warcraft is going to be a huge drag. But, but anyway, there, I think Diablo will be able to get out next year so that that'll probably save Blizzard for next year. Yeah, I think comes we talked about this. Year? Okay. What? Diablo 4 yeah. comes out next year. Yeah, that's that's my understanding. So, what what's I can't remember if we talked about this. Did we talk about Bobby Kotick being a genius and flipping the script? Did we talk about that last week? Um
0: not sure. I think, yeah. I think, oh, yeah, I think, I think we you mentioned I, something about like, like, yeah, because now he can take the full control of the Di- yeah, yeah. Blizzard. So,
2: yeah, and, and and what's interesting is the removal of these guys from the Diablo team is is really bad. I mean, these are like you know, OGs, you know, that are really lo- love the Diablo franchise and their and they're you know the creative visionaries behind it. But the irony is that it may reduce the friction of trying to make Diablo more like a software as a service. So it may actually be good in in some senses to pull those people out to, you know, you know, they be, you know, they will assimilate, become part of the Borg type thing. So you know, we'll see what the result is of the Diablo game that comes out. But anyway, it's really kind of dramatic right now what's going on at Blizzard.
0: Yeah. Also I have to say like like Eric, you're living the dream of any 12 year old. Like, like think about it, you just get to go <laughs> go downstairs to your cellar. Play MMOs all day. Don't have to, (laughs) like, you can drive your BMW well it's a dystopian everything. nightmare it's not a dream dude it's terrible well, i said it's terrible. I, 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 <laughs> my
2: exercise routine has been shot you know I, I i'm eating like crap it's like i i'm becoming exactly. you know the guy on uh, south park right <laughs> well,
0: as i no, said 12 year olds dream <laughs> they, they my son eat.
2: always says that to me he's like you don't do anything but play video games and i and this fucking week the last couple of weeks he's goddamn right all right, moving on. All
0: right, let's jump into the news. So first first things first, and this is first thing first, because Kieran, CEO of, of Rovi, actually called me this morning, and he, I think he reached out to, to Eric as well, just to explain explain the news, and much appreciated. I love when when companies do that, because they know that we're going to talk about it, and if we got more information, we can be more objective and less stupid when we talk about these <laughs> things. So let's talk about Rovio acquiring hyper-casual game studio Ruby Games.
2: Dude, so, hold on a minute. Dude, okay. he's totally priming the pump, dude. Like, what is this about? He's, he like, thinks we can be influenced? Yeah, I, 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 I challenge I'm challenging
0: Come
2: on. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Sir.
0: I like Kieran. Uh, anyway, so what's interesting about it is uh, let's start with the deal structure. So deal structure, I would I would say it's quite conservative and not quite, it's actually very conservative and favoring Rovio. And also they're very transparent in this deal structure. So under the terms of agreement, the Rovio will acquire Ruby games in multiple trenches. So in the first trench, Rovio will acquire 20% of Ruby Ruby shares for $10 million cash just to get the, the owners a little something, something. Then the second trench, Rovio will acquire 50% of the outstanding shares, an amount that is dependent on the financial performance. The remaining 30% of Ruby's outstanding shares will be purchased in five equal trenches over the next five years with a minimum of 50% in cash and rest in cash or shares. So it's a long term. They really want to tie them in. It's not like the Rolex acquisition where Zynga came in. Drop one hundred eighty-five million dollars on them and said, "Guys, let's do what, <laughs> let's do magic." the The reason for this acquisition is clearly an audience play, and it's in two two segments. So one is IDFV. So basically, the idea is that once they have this publisher, and once they've changed the publisher name from Ruby Games to Rovio, and we can clearly see it in the App Store. At that point, they become one publisher, and they're able to set to share device identification, and that. In theory improves the rovio's user acquisition capabilities secondly there is an audience proximity so apparently they not apparently i would i'd say every publisher will do this so they will test how well their games acquire players from the from the other one and in this case there was clear audience proximity so that's why they struck the deal because they're able to acquire players from ruby's games to rovio's games and through that actually grow the inapp the, the in-app purchases of Rovio's games. Number 3, it has 2x the DAU of Rovio, so of course being a public company and showing that your audience is growing significantly and with additional cross not, not cross promotion but ad mon- ad monetization tools being used to pump users from Ruby games to Rovio games will further increase the DAU of Rovio as a whole and that will be a positive signal. And Finally, there's an admonization revenue that is coming from Ruby games because it is it's not the biggest hyper casual publisher, but it's 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 definitely uh, up there with the with the boys. Now there's some challenges, so before Eric, hold on, I know you want you wanna rip a new one every time you hear a hyper casual or admonization, but there are challenges. so idfv, it takes time to kick in, and we haven't really seen anybody uh, well, I don't know if we have seen anybody to really. Being able to leverage IDFV to kind of circumlate this privacy changes on iOS. And the second challenge is that hyper casual as a genre is incredibly volatile. It has always been incredibly volatile. And is it even more volatile with the privacy changes, given that how hard it is to grow a hyper casual game, meaning that you have to be really on top of your games for creatives? And now, Testing creatives on iOS is more difficult. So you're essentially testing creatives on Android, and then you're trying to learn from there and you're trying to move it to iOS. So there's there's a lot of hiccups. And when you're playing this game of sense of like how to improve the, the creative just a little bit so that the CPI goes down just a little bit because the IPM went up just a little bit, and through that you're able to scale. That's very difficult. And when you have one of the platforms that is not allowing that type of a game, that kind of type of a gaming and optimization anymore it's 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 it is it is a challenge so my take is that it's a very bold move turkey is extremely hot market like i mean it seems like they have it's the hottest gaming market in, in the world right now a lot of talent there i also think that roya will need ad tech to fully leverage the acquisition at this moment we've only seen zynga acquire a hyper casual publisher and it's and it's I think the, the success of Rolik, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later in this podcast, I think it's based also on the fact that Zynga has acquired chart boost and they can fully leverage the, capa- the, the, the hyper-casual audience through that, through the ad tech. So I would say that Rovio will likely, I'm, I'm not an expert here, but will likely make an ad tech acquisition as well later on this year or early next year to leverage fully the Ruby games. And, and finally, I just want to end up by welcoming Kieran back to the podcast to discuss this. So, Kieran, they're Rovio's chief operating officer. Great dude overall. Yeah, he should come in and talk uh, about this acquisition. And we'll probably bring somebody from Hypercasual side to to uh, to bring the another view. But Eric, what do you think? Uh, I, I just question whether or not this is going to be effective, right? But I think we're watching
2: real time. You know. The the post IDFA apocalypse, you know, with with Zynga completely just screwing the pooch, and you know, and people talking about this, and I and I wish Eric was here because <laughs> the content fortress idea, building out your ability to do cross promotion within you know these hyper casual games without any type of understanding of uh, what the who the customers are or the ability to get the whales. I think all this seems kind of wishful thinking in a post-IDFA world, like I got to do something type thing or and follow the leader. But I, I'll be willing to talk to him and see what, what Kieran has to say about this. But first of all, I, Kieran must have spent like, Six months negotiating this deal. The terms are so ridiculously complex. It's like I mean, I don't know. This is like it seems ridiculous. I've never seen a deal with such like a structure before. I mean, I don't know. I think you like need a PhD in math to figure this thing out, right? (laughs) So I can give give him credit for that. But we'll see if this has any impact. You know, what's interesting with Robio though is that their their shit's so casual anyway. So maybe maybe this will be more effective versus like. You know, moving people from like these super hyper-casual games to, to more core games, I think that's more of a challenge. But but anyway, we'll, we'll see. Let's let's keep going because I think we've got way
1: too much stuff going yeah, on right now.
0: I, I want to just say regarding the deal structure, when you see deal structure like this, that is complicated and not favorable to the seller per se, You know, the most favorable thing for a seller is just give me all the money right now. Anyways, when you see this type of a deal structure, you kind of wonder that there's not that many buyers for hyper-casual, right? Because usually when you have a case going, there's a lot of bidders. And through that, the, the price. Yeah. Anyway, just my hypothesis. They might have been. All right. News number two, Skills invests $50 million in exit games. So it's a minority stake in exit games. And with <laughs> the funding, the company will have a permanent access to developers' multiplayer technology. And quote, it is from the Skills CEO, it's to power its esports tournament and platform exclusively. <laughs> Moving on, Embracer acquires eight studios. So I think the, the Crazy Labs was the most prominent of the studios acquired. And now the Crazy Labs is joining other mobile studios that they have in the company, DECA Games and Thinking Ape, uh, to name the, the couple other ones. It's a kind of funny Funny way how how they communicate this. They were just like, we acquired eight studios. They don't, they don't even mind mentioning them. They're just like a batch of new studios entering the family. So talking about Crazy Labs, it's not a big in-app purchase player. Super Stylist is their biggest game. And that's making about like 2 million a month gross. But their downloads are crazy because this is, well, because it's Crazy Labs. And because it's a hyper-casual publisher or, or like a new hyper-casual publisher. So downloads peaked not far far ago far time ago at 90 million a month now they're a little bit below 80 million because of you know all the things happening and the hyper casuals are a little bit lower than the peak times and it is one of the best hyper casual publishers but it's you know it's a it's a tough tough game post IDFA and and we are seeing some decline with hyper casual games I actually put in all the big ones the voodoo's the Rolex and and many of them have declined since the, the Q1 of, of 2021. I think overall, this is a great addition to their quote-unquote family. And it's interesting to see if these sort of holding companies like Embracer and Steelfront and what's the EG7 and there's uh, MTG, like how they can find the multiplier effect inside those portfolios. Because you know, like, like these are independent companies. They're not being put under the same publisher name. They're not going to share the same amount of data between each other. The, 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 the way they cooperate is very voluntarily. voluntarily. And, and you know, when, I, when I look at the embracers and the still fronts, it's almost like comparing like when you compare those against Apple it's almost like comparing EU versus China. Like you have an alliance of different countries different entities with kind of same goal. And then you have one big empire that just can run this command economy. And then in the long run, we'll see which one is better. But these are very different ways of of building corporations. So anyway. That was was
2: actually a very impressive insight there. I I really respect that. That was exactly what I've been saying, right? AppLovin has far better (laughs) ability to execute because they are not a family of independents. They're a family of integrated teams, right? And that, that's the other problem with this acquisition of, with Robio is like, I don't know, I'm really salty today. I just realized that as I'm speaking, <laughs> I'm just angry, but it's like, they don't have the tech to integrate this shit, right? Like it, building this kind of technology is not like something that happens overnight. It's going to take years, right? And the, and the right engineers and it, you know millions of dollars that you spend to build people get to do this. And that's why these Embracer, Embracer, and 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 still Stillfront, fronts, getting creamed out there, absolutely crushed, right? Because th- there's no plan. Like they have no, they have no plan. They have no way of, of uh, operating these these entities in a, in a profitable way. It's impossible, right? Anyway,
1: all right, uh, moving on. Okay, Games again. Fun. So there there's was one thing, opinion, here. not the opinion of, of of the rest of us. <laughs> I did want to call out one. Uh, like you said, eight studios, and you talked about uh, praise yeah. labs. There was a company in here called Ghost Ship Games. They make a game called Deep Rock Galactic. It's a PC game, actually, a really interesting acquisition. It is very well retaining co-op game on Steam. It's in the top one hundred and fifty, and it's been growing since launch. For an indie game for their size, it's actually performing very, very well. And personally, I'm a big fan of the game. It's like it's like if you took Left for Dead and combined it with kind of like some of the crafting economy games. It's pretty fun. Yeah. All right.
0: Okay. So so yeah. Anyways, let's follow that. Like I, I like to follow how these. How these family family like Swedish family corporations do over a long time. I I, I find like I don't I don't know which one is better, the super command economy or or this rebel alliance. But it's it's interesting to see because the strategies are so radically different. All right, the Games Fund adds 17 millions to its investment war chest, and the biggest contributors are Scopely and Come to Us come to us being a korean publisher known for summoners war they, they the games fund is interesting fund in the sense that it well focuses on games and secondly it focuses on post-soviet states i don't think they say some post-soviet state i think they say eastern europe but they do they do mainly invest in post-soviet states interesting fund what is what does scope have to do with this and in, in they invested the so they they, they became well, they a invested yeah, so really? this this kind of is very interesting because now Scopely is probably looking more to get more visibility as as well as come to us more visibility into these Russian, Ukrainian, Belarusian, you name it, pub developers. And there's a lot of developers who haven't had the the access to capital and the player and the mycoms of the world have been able to to run the muck. But now you have the Games Fund and others coming in and kind of bringing in the VC money. So very interesting. And there's ton of fantastic developers in the post-Soviet states. And uh, I don't know. I also was kind of thinking about the, the Games Fund doesn't really tell how they specialize. Maybe this should be the Iron Curtain Fund or... I By don't the know. way, it has Scopely been like insanely quiet over the last six months? What, it it, acquired what what's three going studios. on over there? It, it acquired three studios just recently. Like We, we covered that in the last podcast. Really? So, yeah. The I don't know. I haven't heard boo from those guys. They just acquired three studios. Yeah, anyways. Now let's take a little break from all these news and talk about consultants. You know, one of my biggest triggers
2: in gaming is consultants. These big firms think they can manage game making with PowerPoints. They are literally the destroyers of studios. Don't get me wrong. It's not that these folks aren't smart. They're some of the smartest and highly educated people in the world. But they lack two key things, passion for games and industry experience. To put it simply, they lack context. One area that context is absolutely critical is consumer insights. As the name implies, you are trying to understand your customer and gain keen insights by asking the right questions. Without the right context, it's almost impossible to be successful. The big CI firms fall into the same trappings. Just because a firm has gamers on staff, doesn't mean they know how to, what it takes to build and ship successful games. You need to work in the industry to really understand the challenges and agony that studio and marketers have to go through to bring a product to market. That's why I recommend Betahat. Stan Kwan and his team at Betahat have deep experience in the industry that provides the context needed for actionable insight. Stan's own experience includes 15 years within the gaming industry leading strategic functions at EA, GameSpot, and Ubisoft. Other research firms package up gaming and entertainment bucket or use like these old methods from packaged goods industries. Gaming is different. For Game CI, you need to understand what people play, where people play, how they play, and why they play. You need to understand console, mobile, free-to-play, software as a service, subscription models. Whether it's consumer segmentation, brand tracking, concept testing, conjoint analysis, or focus testing, Stan and his team have the context to deliver exceptional insights into the gaming customer. Please reach out to Beta Hat by visiting their website at betahatmr.com. That's B E T A H A T M R.com. Now, back to the episode.
0: So some game updates. Clash Royale has tripled its monthly run rate. I've been I've been following this for a while, and I I was like, is this a one month off? And then as it has continued, we have to cover this. So the installs are trending up by about 20%, reaching some, you know, 5 million a month from the low 3 million that they had. Not a crazy update, you know, 70% more installs, but it's not like tripled or so. The July revenue climbed to 30 million in net from 10 million that they were making in January and out of the updates that seem to be really kicking it in is the birthday Royale, that was the March update. Then they had the magic item update coming in in April. They did a lot of clan war improvements and extended the trophy road in June. So if this is the working of the new game lead that they were looking to hire, that, that person is a bad mama jamma because the game is really rocking. So, you know, Thumb, you know, good good job, Supercell, and good job to to you know, putting one of the best games ever back on the growth growth rate. Let's hope this continues, and, and let's let's hope they they keep kicking ass. And another piece of news, I don't know, this is more like a an official. Th- th- not this is not a rumor. It's it's a it's a it's an, it's an actual news. So, Track Twenty, the the developer of SimCity Build It, is how I would say bracing for impact. The latest news uh, on the streets, I don't know if this how public this is, but everybody here knows it, is that the head of studio has left the studio, and the, the head of studio of Stockholm has taken over the, the leadership of also the Helsinki studio, which is about 70 people. You know, there's a lot of interviews, there's has there's AMAs. This might not be bad news, this might be good news, but the, we know the fact that the studio hasn't shipped a new game in seven years. SimCity Build it is solid game. It's it's I don't know how what's the revenue rate for that one, but it's it's good. It's not the EA's best game, but I would say it's like in top five or top six. Um, Wait, this is the EA studio. This it's is the EA studio. In turmoil. Okay. This is this is the EA studio, and I think there's a there's a little bit of a turmoil, but that is expected because EA is making so many moves. There's a new head of games. They have done a full reorg. It's divided into, you know, the casual, the RPG and so forth and so forth. Like the, the whole EA mobile organization is totally different. So as these type of changes happen, of course, leadership in individual studios and individual areas will be changed to those who Jeff Carp trusts. I think that's, that's really the case. And he's building the type of organization that he believes will succeed. And, and unfortunately this leads to some some potential turmoil in 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 some of the uh, the studios far far away from good old Redwood.
2: They also they also announced EA just announced that the uh,
0: the glue executives are yes. leaving. Yeah, your your boy Nick, and, Nick, um, which... and and the the COO, right, right, which makes sense.
2: You can't have co CEOs. Jeff Carp is not <laughs> going to share the limelight, dude. Jeff is his own man, you know. I'm
0: sure. I'm sure both Nick and I forgot the uh, the name of of their their COO. I'm sure they are. They didn't leave. They didn't leave empty handed. Let's. Dude, they it.
2: got generation money on that bullshit, dude. <laughs> Fuck. I'm Shout, super out, to jealous, Earl. Right? Shout out to Nick. Right. Shout out to Nick Earl, dude.
0: Think about it. Nick <laughs> Earl came in to Glue. Their stock was like fucking one dollar, and they were in the cockroach oh. phase of dying. That's and he true. walks That's- out. He walks out. <laughs> with his hair as beautiful as ever and the company valued (laughs) over $1 he killed it. You know, whatever, Eric, you were giving him shit, but Nick Earl killed it with glue. So that's my my
1: take. Um, I'm not not going there. Moving on. (laughs) Stop talking about hair. My updates. Call of Duty Warzone is getting its own Among Us mode. And in combination here, Garena Free Fire on mobile also just did a season update, which introduced a limited Among Us style game mode called Pet Rumble. So it's a little late, but still great. Call of Duty launching this like hidden identity game mode, I think is great leverage of just an ongoing trend. I think back when we covered Among Us and Fall Guys and Phasmophobia and all that kind of stuff, when it popped up on Twitch, I talked about kind of the best takeaway for devs is number one, do not start making a bunch of Among Us clones that try to recreate the same impact, like that is just not going to work. Although, to be honest, counter to my intuition, Among Us actually is still a respectable 33 on Twitch. So uh, they continue to sustain pretty well. But still, it's instead of trying to like leverage these trends on a one-off, you should try to use these as live content bits. So I think Warzone and Garena Free Fire are doing the right thing here by adding these interesting game modes on top, kind of pull players back, drive re-engagement but not counting on them to, say, retain. Speaking of also live content, Battlefield 2042, there was an announcement, I think a few weeks ago, where they were talking about their new mode. I was assuming that it would be something closer to a um, battle royale mode, but it's not. It's actually a portal mode is what they call it, which allows players to create custom games using the sandbox of all of its old games content. Actually really, really interesting. I'm ignoring all the, say, technology hurdles and cost that must have gone into creating this mode because clearly this is not an easy technical feat to be able to open up all of those things. But overall, I like this, right? Like stepping away from Battle Royale trend and trying to give influencers on Twitch the tools to actually create really, really compelling content using Battlefield should actually pay off. I, I like this play. The only issue I have is that Battlefield, you know, has a UGC mode and has their kind of usual Battlefield mode. Great. But when competing against, say, Warzone, Fortnite, uh, Free Fire, PUBG Mobile, God Mobile, you, you still need a mode within there that's going to be able to retain that audience and be able to, over time, you'd be able to change it cost effectively to keep the players coming back. That was the really nice thing about Battle Royale. Not sure... You can do that with the two modes they have right now. Next thing I, I noticed a headline. Not sure if you guys saw this. Video game concerts are now going to become the next big business. Were you guys aware of this? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it's just incredibly sad. I think it's yeah. it's like
0: it's it's so sad because concert is fun. A video game concert is not fun. Like, have you, like did you see the?
1: Are we on the Friday uh, yeah, stuff? I,
0: I looked at Travis Scott. Like, listen, I would rather go see Travis Scott for real in a real concert than being a fortnight watching giant Travis Scott come. Like, come on. Like, what are we doing? Well,
1: you're you're just not part of the new generation, man. You're you're a dinosaur now. You're getting I'm old, dude. I'm I'm old, old. I'm old. All those I, young I'm the kids and to
0: go to a concert to be next to real people and feel well, the vibe. You? And yeah. feel the feel feel the energy.
1: But oh yeah, that's just me. What happened, man? Wow. Yeah, you're out of it. It's just dinosaur life for you now. Yeah, like for me, I think sure, like video game concerts as live content, I think there's is gonna be a thing. I'm not gonna fight against that. And I think there's a generation of kids that are growing up with Minecraft and uh, Fortnite-like live content that are gonna enjoy it. But I just make sure people read past the headline here. Like in-game concerts are not. A big business (laughs) this is just like another esports trap like in-game concerts are just another type of live content in-game events which spike re-engagement retention and spend like there's a reason why fortnite puts these on for completely free right this is not a big business it's a cog in the free-to-play gaming engine that's it so if i see a bunch of headlines of like vcs funding startups going after virtual concerts i'm gonna flip a table (laughs) i'm gonna flip (laughs) a table
0: have, have you guys have you guys read or listened to the book on on the um WeWorks? no yeah so if you listen through that or read through that then you will never wonder anything where the money goes <laughs>
1: <laughs> next quick update i got you guys covered it last week diablo mortal delayed until 2022 i just wanted to kind of say if the team is listening like I played the alpha in the spring. I actually really really enjoyed it. Like it's a, it's a great translation of Diablo three. My only advice is like if 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 you got extra time now to be able to build up the game, and I think that's the right call. Invest in your loadout progression and the depth of your damage model and the depth of the definition of each gear piece. Like just add more layers that unlock over time. You don't have to kind of turn off Diablo players initially, but that end game has to reach a level of depth that's deeper than now. Like the, on paper, the game is actually checking a lot of boxes and I think is is moving, like it, it has a chance of being a strong CC RPG on mobile, but the focus on gear based progression and on upgradable rifts over loot boxes means the game has to be actually more in depth than its competitors like Genshin and Raid over being more shallow. And I think like Genshin being able to launch new characters or gear pieces over time required you to compete in events that were very, very valuable at a very fast cadence like this alpha is insanely polished and fun to play, but I think it will struggle to retain players if it doesn't fuel a far deeper and larger game chase than it has now, and leverage that to create better live content. Like Genshin, I think is a pretty good um, comp here for where they need to get to.
0: I, d- I never um, got
1: this alpha, by the way. I, I like we have a bunch of people from De-
0: from 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 Blizzard in the deconstructor fun Slack channel. Call yeah. at Ken Landon. All the all the all the people from Blizzard—they're like, "We got we got you with a build. You'll get the build." I was like, "Thank okay. you," and never got oh, the build. Like, how, how can they give on? you a build?
1: How can they give you a build if you're not interested in virtual concerts, man? Uh, that's true. <laughs> that's, true. That's,
0: that's, that's I would probably hate this game because I don't like virtual concerts.
1: We'll cover this next week in more detail. The Absolute competition bill has been you know, targeted by a bipartisan Senate committee from the U.S. government. So from Seeking Alpha, there's a bipartisan Senate bill that is aiming to protect sideloading of apps, open up competitive avenues for startups and third-party app stores, as well as third-party payment services, and looking to directly uh, attack Apple and secondarily Google Play. The bill sponsors were U.S. Senators Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut, Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, and Amy Klobuchar klobuchar from minnesota you know
2: um, like dude this is like yeah i mean the the the, the, the so wagons are circling the yeah. lawyers were right so far i mean it's like it is people are just jumping on the bandwagon to go against apple and google on this 30 percent and yeah i don't know man it doesn't i mean it, it, yeah, it's all about the pr right the more people that get involved the more pressure it
1: puts on them to to change their ways you know but then um, so you've got this is this is Sweeney's endgame, right? Like that whole court case wasn't meant to be the battle to win, right? Wasn't meant to be the war. This is the war, right? This is him actually trying to. Yeah, right. You no, know, it's good. Also, Exela, I don't know if you guys saw this news. That was interesting. Laid off 150 staff members. And then the CEO tweet actually sparked a ton of outrage the specific email that people were talking about. You received this email because my big data team analyzed your activities in Jira, Confluence, Gmail, chats, documents, dashboards, and tagged you as unengaged and unproductive employees. (laughs) In other words, you were not always present at the workplace when you worked remotely, implying that they basically selected 150. And I think that the the numbers were somewhat like 40% on who to fire based on their activity level internally. Did you like, know how quickly I would be fired based upon my activity
2: level? <laughs> I mean, every single fucking job I've ever had. It's like my activity
0: level. I would just say, like, you don't even need to be able to tell you, you would yeah. that you play final fantasy all day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh like, yeah, like the dude. company's analyzing your bandwidth and like there's a huge chunk of final fantasy 14 in here what's going on dude, how much yeah. web surfing and and shopping i did at ea i mean you know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah obviously it's going to spark a ton of outrage that people are making decisions on who to fire based on data and not based on human judgment what do you guys think about this
2: i you know what i think i mean i know these Exola guys i've talked to them a bunch of times right i did some conference with them so what, what 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 strikes me as remarkable is that they would send an email like that like why would you do that that just sets yourself up like I don't I, I, I want to ask them I haven't talked to them about it but like you, you just you do you I don't think see I, I'm, I'm a little torn by this whole thing because I do think it's a really effective way of finding who's fucking you know working hard right and so so and, and there's privacy issues and all that other stuff, but it is effective way of saying who's actually being productive. But you don't like blanket an email and just fire them on the spot like this. Like you, you got to be more subtle, right? I mean, you're going to get yourself in a big trouble, you know. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this. Actually, maybe I should call him and just. I'm sure he's dealing with a lot of drama right now.
0: I mean, what do but, you but think? But if
1: we if so, if we take away the obviously not very smart way of communicating this, but do you think that actually using data like this is the right way to, I I think it is
0: like, like, listen, I, I, I raised this. So I've been in, in some of the, the big layoffs at big U S corporations where they just fire a bunch of people in like on a random Monday. And there's no reason why these people get fired. It's like, we're going to cut, you know, by 10% or 15%. And then the lists are being made and the people are being kicked out. And I remember just watching people getting kicked out. Like, I don't even know why that person is leaving. And there was never any rhyme or reason other than, you know, the stock price is a little bit down. So we're going to just cut some, some, you know, some employees and it's going to go up at this. In this case, there's a clear, indication of like why the, the the employees have been terminated also in that email he he explains that hey if we are wrong please reach out to your manager it's it's like saying it's like we have a data that you're not working when you're remote and that's not okay if we're wrong let us know but if we're not thank you so much for your contribution we can't have people who are playing final fantasy when they should be actually you know coding or whatever these people were doing So. I, like, I understand that it's it's very, very cold. But at the same time, who can argue that that laying off 10% or 15% of whatever the number is that, you know, these big corporations isn't cold, especially since they don't give a reason of why X percentage has been cut, or like why those people were being let go. It's like, well, we just made a decision, we looked at the Excel, and we just cut like every third person.
2: But, yeah, but the other big issue here is the privacy issue, right? Can you I mean, I guess it's all on their,
0: you know. This is Russia. Systems. This is in what? Russia. All these employees were in Russia. Really? Yes. This was only at their Omsk, like sort of a, oh. like center. So listen, GDPR, <laughs> let's get out of here. This was done in Russia. <laughs> oh, no wonder. Okay. That makes sense. And that, that,
2: that's probably why the outrage is that everyone's kind of using, again, the Western lens
0: on foreign countries yeah and 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 they they look at it like it's a bad russian ceo and he's he's this evil person who just cuts people like left and right and they did this decision and it's like yeah it's it's cold but there's a reason and it was and as i said in the end it said like hey if we're wrong based on our data let us know and in that email they said also a lot of people let, let them know and they're they're not going to fire those people because they're, you know, they talk with the manager and so forth, but, I see, but, I see. but, but it is, it's very like data driven, uh, decision-making for the people whose work he, he specifically outlines here. It's like they were working remotely and, and if you're working remotely and not working like Yahoo did that back in the days, remember when, when uh, what's, what's her name, when she became a CEO of Yahoo, she kind of came in and she noticed that there's like a 20% of the workforce yeah, she- just chilling yeah home. she brought
2: she brought all that remote work back and this and asked a lot COVID. of people by the way all the exola people i've met have been super nice so yeah. so i wouldn't go i don't think this guy's mean i think he's just being practical and pragmatic yeah <laughs> i haven't met also, him i don't think met also video,
0: we're a little bit cold probably on this podcast so we're like no we don't see any problems in this <laughs> so i understand the other side i, well, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> the
1: execution of it was incredibly cold yeah yeah so that's, I, that's that's I that's also, I also don't know what the roles of these people were. It sounded like they said that they, it wasn't managers, it was people, yeah, yeah it's, it's staff, like staff level. level. So then it's like, so what exactly would they be doing in is Confluence, Gmail, chats, documents, dashboards? It is been that like, the right metrics? Board. Is that the right metrics to say that person is doing good work, right? Because yeah. look, if, if, if me as a manager was being evaluated on how often I open up Confluence, Gmail, chats, and documents, you know, he was aware of this, I would set up a little little toy on my desk that just pressed down on a button that just constantly added a little (laughs) letter to every single document that i could right because it i don't don't think these would be metrics that actually measure my value to the company yeah but we
0: don't we don't again that being
1: said look i look i look it's funny because i I just read that book called noise and actually talks somewhat about this right where variability of human judgment. And like we can say human judgment saying you're gonna be fired because I believe you're not performing as well as others on your team, right? That feels soft and nice to everybody. But this book actually argues a lot on the opposite side where it's talking about human judgment is typically highly variable, where things like the weather, things like general mood, have a pretty large swing in people's ability to make these judgments. So when you say, yeah, like you have to make 10 percentage cut to your to your company, that's a tough decision to make. And then you're relying on human judgment, which as we know is pretty heavily biased, right? You're going to get a lot of situations where people end up selecting people not necessarily based on their actual performance and value to the company, but based on a whole bunch of other factors that you might not, right. might, and that, might not agree and, with.
2: And speaking for the unproductive, who would have failed this? This <laughs> almost immediately. I do add value, no matter what. No matter how unproductive I can no. be, I have fits and starts. Right? I go for like an hour and focus and get a shit done, and then I'm just goofing around. For the right, next you're not hours. working
0: at Exola. You don't have to. You don't have to. Oh, oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Sorry. I just so, want to make and, sure
0: I add value.
2: God damn it. All
1: so right, So on. I, I, yeah, I, I think it's just about measuring that value, right? And then you can make these kind of colder judgments but then of course the execution of it was shit so anyways let's move on to Zynga. let's move on let's move anyway on. i
2: think you know here's what i would say to all you guys that work at big companies beware right because this shit's happening right you know what's happening in these big companies brace for impact yeah place for impact wait wait Get, i'm the doctor. only
1: one that works at a big company so you're saying i'm fucked
2: <laughs> oh yeah. No, dude, you're the most productive person I fucking know, dude. Like, you have nothing to worry about. It's people like me. I'm trying to protect people like me that are smart, but not productive. <laughs> anyway, moving on. All right, Zynga. So Zynga just fucking screwed the pooch. Let's just be honest. Like, it was fucking brutal, They're Brutal. And I'll tell you, in my business, as investor relations, Mr. Frank and, and Bernard and the, and the crew over there, the CFO, you only get one shot at making a big mistake like this and revising guidance down. So what happened was they did have a very strong quarter. I think was one of the best quarters they've ever had, but they revised guidance down by a hundred million. And the stock is down nearly around 25% from, you know, where it was a week ago uh, or a week or so ago. And what's interesting is they blamed factors that really didn't have much to do with IDFA, right? But I don't know. I'm a little bit, Anyway, I'll just go through what they said. They basically blamed it because people are playing less, right? Which obvious, right? COVID is over. People are going outside, but people are playing less. And then on top of that, the IDFA result, reduced reduce of IDFA made it hard to get new players in, which they didn't see the paid returns that they were getting before, which is exactly what IDFA, that, that was the issue, right? They still are claiming that IDFA is a short-term problem but which doesn't make a lot of sense given what they said the the sentence before. But they also mentioned that that there's some competition for merged titles as well. So let's just recap here, right? So people are going back to fucking work and going back to school or whatever. And so they're playing less. They're spending money not effectively because of IDFA and other issues, I suppose. And they're not scaling their games. And, And now there's some competition on the merged titles. All right, whatever, right? But all this, all this is predicated on the fact that they said that this is not gonna be a big deal. Like this is not gonna impact our business at all. I mean, the quotes from Bernard and Frank are like, oh yeah, IDFA, we got this covered because we have such a diverse portfolio of games, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I I, I was like reading some of these quotes, like, what about Rollick? Like. You've had Grawlick for a while. Isn't that going to help your business? Are, aren't you going to be able to use that data and that like cross promotion in order to fight off the IDFA? Like, what, what's going on with that, right? And so the fundamental problem with these guys is they don't know. I think they don't understand like the dynamics of what's going on at the, at the lower lower levels and the integration of the stuff is fucking impossible, right? And they don't have the technology. They don't have the staff. They don't know what they're doing in terms of trying to build this content fortress. Like, like something like AppLovin is probably far more sophisticated and has those type of things. So it's going to take them forever to get, get going on this, right? And so I guess the bottom line here is that companies like Zynga, Sideplay, Stillfront, Play Studios, are they're going to have a real tough time growing organically at this stage? And that is that is where they're going to get punished, Right. You know, they can grow through acquisition. That's easy, right? Just layer them on. Just put them on there and go. To, but if you really want to get to prove your metal and prove your strategy, you have to actually grow organically. Like build new games, grow your existing games, etc. But without it, without IDFA, it is going to be really, really hard to do that. It's going to be hard to scale games. And it's going to be hard to bring players into new games. It's fucking simple math. You know, your your cost of acquisition goes up. And your efficacy goes down, so your yields go down and you get squeezed on the margin, right? That that is what's gonna happen to all these guys. And it's not only Zynga that's getting fucking creamed out there, right? Play Studios is down like 50% from its from its SPAC IPO, still front's down like 50%. Platica is hanging in there. They're down like twenty percent from their IPO, I think, something around that line. But because they're they're actually getting a lot smarter on on moving things off the store, and that's the interesting thing. And I, I should have done a little bit more work on this, but my understanding is that Platika, rather than talking about growing their businesses per se, they're talking about margin improvements by moving people from the stores, from app stores, into uh, their PC stores, right? So they're you know hoping for margin story, but margin story does not sell stocks right? It's all about growth, right? Revenue growth. And so anyway, I think this is like the new normal. And, and I think what he may be wrong, he, he may be right. He may be wrong. Maybe this is a temporary short-term thing and people figure this out. But I think some companies are re- more prepared to figure this out. And so that's why I feel really vindicated on the Zynga thing. I, was, I knew that they were going to guide down because the, the data did not look good going into the, the, to Q3. I didn't expect them to guide down for the year. That's pretty insane. You know, I thought they they would they would be able to scale some of these businesses, but they're the, the and back to Zynga again. So Farmville is coming out in Q4, they say, but that game does not look like it's going to do well, and they have not scaled Puzzle Combat, which I've been playing like a crack addict for the last six months. But and so that's kind of like I guess what I'm trying to say is that the shit is happening right now as we speak, dude. Like. IDFA is having an impact and it's only going to get worse as, as people stop cheating and stop doing fucking fingerprinting and all that other crap. Like it's just going to get more and more difficult to scale games and to bring new players into, into existing games. So anyway, that's my uh, quick take.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it's clear that the, uh, the analysts are, are waking up to the uh, to the ATT and that's that's being seen throughout the portfolio. I'm going to do my take. It's a little bit different. So I, I looked at the uh, the acquisition of this of the of Golf Rival, and I looked at the Zynga's portfolio. So I'm just going to talk about that. So the acquisition of Golf Rival for 525 million dollars in cash and stock. This is kind of in line like previously EA acquired Playdemic. It wasn't even so many months ago from a company that shall not be named on this podcast due to Adam, but but they acquired Golf Clash for 1.4 billion. So in January, we actually analyzed Golf Clash and Golf Rivals in the other uh, prediction series that was focusing on the sports games. And what we wrote is while Golf Clash saw its downloads decline year over year by 46%, Golf Rivals saw its downloads grow by 38% in the same period, which had an effect as Golf Rivals made a massive stride of over 127% year over year revenue growth. And it sure looks like the, uh, the Asian publisher behind Golf Rivals has reached product parity and taken the battle on the marketing side, where it seems to be getting an edge over a company and not not be named. Anyway, as of today, so Gulf Clash is still twice the size of in terms of revenue, and the Gulf Cla- Golf Rivals installs have declined after January, after IDFA, but what is clear now that the, the installs are picking up, and I think that was part of the acquisition, where Zynga was kind of testing if they can scale back the installs, and then they, they were able to do that. Last month, the installs have been peaking again for Golf Rivals, and it seems to be back on the growth path. So really, with the acquisition of Golf Rival by Zynga and the acquisition of Golf Clash by EA, it's going to be interesting to see who is able to be the multiplier here. Now, Zynga has proven that it has been a multiplier tool pretty much every acquisition that they have made. And Peak is stable, but pretty much everybody else has grown under Zynga. Whether as EA has had a little bit of a mixed bag of success, but of course, acquiring a steady game like Golf Clash is great for, for their new organization as it brings significant amount of revenue and also boosts their sports segment yeah, in a, in a very, very significant way. So looking at the Zynga's portfolio as a whole, I kind of broke them down into different genres that the Zynga is in. Like when we look at the hyper-casuals, I know, Eric, you hate hyper-casuals with, with all the passion, but... I have to say that, that Rolik under, under Zynga has been on fire. Like they are the second largest hyper casual publisher at the moment after Zynga acquired them. So when Zynga acquired them, I think they were 10th or something like that. And now they're number two, just behind Voodoo. They've passed Applovin and they've passed Iron Source. And then they're just, you know, killing the game. So I think, I don't know. You know, I I know about hyper casual, but I'm not an expert here. But I think the chart boost acquisition kind of made Zynga and one of the big boys of Hyper Casual. So it looks like this acquisition is really paying off. Of course, it has the chart boost added to it. No,
2: it okay. Stop, stop, All stop. Right. Look, the only way this pays off is if it if it solves the IDFA issue, which it's not. So it's not paying off. It's not doing what they said it was gonna do. And so they they've been misleading the, the investment community for, for co- years on this bullshit right and so fine they got to a billion downloads who gives a fuck if it's not solving their problems you know like anyway all right continue sorry I, right. I just can't i'm, well, I'm let's so see. frustrating
0: let's see. in their puzzle side of, of games so they have of course the peak games toy blast toon blast both making you know combined steady 225 million net a quarter so way over a billion from peak every year the Harry Potter game that they launched not a long time ago in, in the puzzle genre seems to be really kicking it off and currently settled at about $45 million in net revenue. So great launch for, from Zynga. And a, clearly they've, they've learned something from Peak that they're able to scale their own games nicely. RPG, they stay untouchable in the puzzle puzzle RPG. We got Empires and Puzzles steady at like $130 million net net revenue a quarter with pretty much no competition in the whole genre. Yes, the game has declined about seven percent a year over year, but still doing excellent. And Puzzle Combat is actually scaling up; they doubled their revenue from Q2, but it is still a tiny game compared to Empires and Puzzles. It makes about three million a net. It would be nice for a smaller publisher, but of course, for Zynga, it's mice nuts. When it comes to Merge, Eric, you're absolutely right. Merge is a, it's it's such a bloodbath going on. Like Merge and Dragons down twenty percent year over year. Merge magic also down 19% year over year with the revenues from like, they were peaking at 40 million a quarter and now they're down 17 million a quarter and still going down. So it's a, there's just too much competition in the merge genre when it comes to racing. Of course, Zynga has the monopoly with CSR two and that game actually grew 9% year over year on the slot side. We know that, that the casino, both slots and poker, was, was phenomenal during COVID. And when you look at the Zynga's portfolio, I mean, Wizard of the Oz, 17% up year over year. Hit it rich, 45% up year over year. Game of Thrones, 54% up year over year. Willy Wonka, 46% year over year. And Zynga Poker, up by 45%. So yes, their their numbers are going down. And, and I do believe that the whole thing of like players are not playing as much, that's true because covid restrictions are down i think the poker games are gonna and, and the, and the ca- casual casino games are gonna go down and those are big revenue drivers so i i think it's not only att it's also the fact that players are playing less because there's no less lockdowns there's no lockdowns actually at all I, to my knowledge unless you're in australia overall when i when i look at zingas and their portfolio i continue to believe in them it's a it's a very robust. They I mean they, they've shown that they can launch and scale games. They're really good at marketing. They can optimize products no, and grow no, products. No, 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 yes. no, no,
2: no, no, no. But what 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 game have they launched and scaled besides Harry Potter in the last the, the whole four fucking
0: Rolic portfolio is is like uh it's like a, like one of those baseball bat machines no, it, keeps on shooting games and, no, and they they games. have
2: not had a successful release in years besides Harry Potter, which I think is surprising, frankly. But the the the, the Game Potter. of Thrones, the game of Thrones casino game was a disaster. The Merge Magic has been a disaster. Puzzle combat has been a disaster. Harry and Potter. Harry Potter is the only one that they've been able to scale, which was surprising because the first game was a disaster. So I'll, give them, I'll give them credit on Harry Potter, but th- but that one's flattening flatlining as well. So, yeah,
0: but but at yeah. a relatively high rate. Oh, okay. Well, they're not as strong as as launching games. They're really good at acquiring games and and and. Yeah, that's yep. that's true. But all right, they have a very, very diversified portfolio and they have de risked genres because there's literally in almost every genre except shooters and sports. And well, now actually they're on sports because they acquired the other uh, golf rivals, and, and they have a ton of goal genre mastery, like they they're the small giant games, makes puzzle RPG, peak makes. The, the puzzle games, and especially the tile blasters. They got the, the the slots studios making only slots. They got the poker studio making only poker. So there's a ton of genre mastery despite the, the sort of a diversified portfolio. And yeah, Farmville 3 has been in soft launch for about two years now. I think they entered soft launch very early, but they actually communicated they were in a tech launch. And when you think about the, the, the whole soft launch, you can break it down into three phases. There's the tech launch. There's the retention test launch. And then there's the monetization test launch. And now I think they've taken their time in all the three, three, three phases. And I also think that they haven't been rushed and they've been given time to optimize their game because you have to consider that when Zynga set up the Zynga Helsinki studio to make Farmville 3, that was a totally different Zynga than Zynga is today. Like there wasn't gram Games, there wasn't Small Giant, there wasn't Peak Games, there wasn't Rolik. So as they've acquired these companies that they've been showing quarter over quarter growth... That has given more time for the Zynga Helsinki team to optimize Farmville 3 to, to really make sure that they can knock it out the park. And I, I remain bullish on Farmville 3. I, I think the team is fantastic. So I think I think they'll be able to scale. And the numbers don't are showing what, you. That they're what, dude, you don't know what
2: you're talking about, dude.
0: I know. I've seen the game. I believe in that. I've seen
2: the game. I played the game. It's not gonna do well. That's why it's in in in, in beta hell. But you know, we'll see who's right. All right. We'll see.
0: All right.
1: Let's talk FIFA. Let's put together a bet for the Farmville launch when it comes out, uh, just like we did with Wild Rift. Okay, so the last thing that we wanted to cover. So FIFA Ultimate Teams, their new preview packs actually boosted loot box sales. This came from Andrew Wilson. So overall, got to hand it to Miska. He was right. The latest EA financial call. So he called it out and basically said, we saw an increase in engagement. We saw a higher rate of conversion of our spenders. So if you remember the design, they offered players the ability to preview their first purchase pack each day. And after previewing, there was a daily cooldown preventing players from spamming. My inclination is that this would have This would decrease revenue from the boxes, likely in say single digits since it retained spend depth, but would turn off some players who'd see their preview and then refuse to pay for the pack. But this overall doesn't seem to be the case. So one thing is just looking past the headline here, this was happening near the end of a FIFA season, which typically has spikes of revenue. So it's unclear what we're really comparing to, like conversion of the baseline a week before, conversion season over season.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that, that is the problem, right? They have a huge right. promo during this time. So we don't know whether or not they're just, they're picking out stats just to, exactly. just to
1: prove themselves. So go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. So it's like keeping in mind that like Andrew Wilson is incentivized to make it look good, to make sure that people don't feel like they're rocking the boat too much with these types of features. And like without daily revenue data, which really doesn't exist on console, I don't think this is really an open and shut case. So... It's interesting that he announced it. Maybe, maybe it doesn't, didn't have as much impact. But I think it's really hard to really say exactly what impact without actually knowing on the ground numbers. But yeah, calling BS on finance calls isn't really what I want to talk about here. I think there's just a greater trend here. Like there was some recent news as well. Second Life is removing loot boxes. FIFA obviously experimenting. Australia is now proposing a loot box ban, as well as UK. There's some age appropriate design code specifically targeting loot boxes for children. Yeah, yeah yeah So I think overall loop box design is getting more and more scrutiny. There's a chance that eventually they could get removed. And I think on a lot of designers' minds is, what do we do without loot boxes? Like, loot boxes obviously are a very dominant form of monetization on mobile. And what's great about it is that it drives massive economy depth and spend depth. For each piece of content you add, you exponentially add more depth to your system instead of, say, a direct purchase system, which is linear. You add a new content, Players purchase it if they care about it. And that's it. So, is there a way to recreate this type of exponential depth with a non loot box system? And I think it typically breaks down, and like any monetization system in a free to play game can be broken down to this that all monetization systems are effectively offering a trade off of, of time, luck, or skill or pay, right? So timers, real-time, loot boxes, luck, boosters, skill and luck, power and stats in games is basically game time and skill. So when you take loot boxes out, there are kind of a few strategies. I think you can shift towards more time, skill or costs being exponentially higher, so higher prices for the assets. To directly purchase so instead of a one dollar loot box you have hundred dollars per character you can also increase time required to craft so you have you know free to play 2010 all over again or you can be you know shifting to battle pass economies and trying to actually make them into a monetization feature but then you're going to start seeing battle passes that take a lot longer to earn through or a lot more skill required to earn each of those items it's just increasing the costs increasing the friction Like the strategy I think most people will try is try to dress up the luck element that regulators won't notice. So that's really what FIFA is experimenting with, what Fortnite experiment with, with previews of packs. Diablo Immortals is trying this with Rift's. Warframe has been doing this for a while kind of buy entry to a mission that has the random rewards that you want. So technically you're buying a ticket, you're not buying the reward, but it's just one or two stages removed like taking this further i think the likely scenario is that a whole bunch of developers are going to build out ticket systems where there's tickets to zones which have randomizations of key rewards and those drop rates are higher or give you guaranteed drops you pay a ticket you get an entrance and or you say placement in an event of a leaderboard and those rewards or currencies are for the things that you want this can then be kind of a mix of skill luck and time and actually turns into, say, a skill-based minigame instead of a loot box to try to get away from this. I think additionally to compensate for no... New, dude, that new feels loot. like
2: there's a lot of friction there, dude.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> but but this is kind of where you're, you're going to if you're trying to dress up the loot, the luck. Element. Right, right. And so it is more friction than just opening and spamming a whole bunch of loot boxes. But if you want the same type of thing, what you could say is, okay there's one ticket that gives you 20 loot boxes or 20 random rewards in the area versus one that's only one. So you can kind of batch purchase to kind of reduce some of that continual purchase friction. Anyways, to compensate for loot boxes, keep it at exponential depth. I think what's ending, what's going to end up happening, is that it's just going to actually put more strain on developers to produce more valuable live content. So I think there'll be more pressure on launching even more characters, even more gear pieces than before, and that each of those prices for that content will be higher, and ultimately assets will be, have to be even more valuable than they have than before. Uh, loot boxes. So all systems and game modes that incentivize collection will have to be even stronger than games today offer, and I think like pointing to games like warframe and i continually use that example but i think they do a pretty good job warframe is a direct purchase economy that functions pretty well without loot boxes for their main assets being the characters the warframes and the gear the weapons so they can only do that because they have so much system depth in promoting that collection of warframes and weapons so Yeah, I think loot boxes being taken away will be a big revenue drop for the industry because I don't think a lot of developers will be prepared for it. And I think we can dress up loot boxes, there might be some ways to kind of keep some of the benefits. But I think ultimately luck taken out of the monetization picture, it pushes devs to be more able to design systems that design that support far more assets, drive stronger collection mechanics. So I think the underlying learnings of mobile CCRPG design are actually poised to go stronger, not weaker, as loot boxes get removed. So I think that's really what the future is going to be taking. Like there'll be revenue drop because developers don't fully understand it, but the kind of tenants of CCRPG design are only going to be growing stronger. What do you guys think? I don't know. I, I still kind of think that ultimately
2: it'll be about protecting kids from loot boxes which actually I think is is smarter. I, 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 I don't think they're going to remove loot boxes altogether because I I think it's just embedded with so many different things. Like Roblox would like literally lose half their revenue, right? But and they target kids. That's what I'm a little bit worried about. Roblox as as longer term issue for them because I think loot boxes is relatively significant for them, but I'm not sure how much. But um, anyway, so I think if they el- eliminate the the kids games that have loot boxes age gating or removing that feature or maybe this preview thing will get people off their backs I don't know yeah I don't know I just think that like it's just too embedded it would, it would create huge havoc within this with all the games that are using it mm. and then and then I the, the, the thing I think it's it, it is a slippery slope to some degree is like how much of this monetization strategies out there are similar to loot box in terms of design in terms of of how it influenced the behavior, you know. We've talked about this before many times. Like, are they just gonna go after all free-to-play monetization? You know, are they gonna end
0: with loot boxes?
2: You know, I don't know.
0: I I think I have missed Adam on this podcast. Like that was that was a fantastic, fantastic uh, summary of 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 everything. I, I have nothing to add. I when when I called it out and I said this would probably increase engagement as well as monetization, it was just me absolutely loving FIFA. And I've been playing Ultimate Team a lot. And I was just thinking to myself as a player, would I check always what's, in the, what's in, the, in, the, in the packet? And would I buy if I would see something cool? I said yes and yes. And that would get me just into the purchase flow all the time, constantly coming back, constantly looking, and and probably will get me buying more. So smart move for me. Yeah,
2: we'll, we'll see what happens at scale. If they they
1: actually implement this thing for the next FIFA. Well, yeah, I'm I'm excited. I want to see the impact. I'd I'd love to see how people kind of work this, especially as things like age gating come in and you start seeing, you know, people saying, okay, well, if you're under the age gate, what game is there left, right? If there's no way to buy loot boxes, do they just not offer any monetization there or there are other mechanics they go to. On that note,
0: thank you for listening to the podcast. Follow, like, subscribe, comment, and yes, comment. Send us questions, send us feedback, and we'll address it on this podcast. And have an awesome week. See you or hear you next week. Bye, everybody.